Welcome to the Momnificent Podcast. This is the place where we help parents live a happy, healthy life with their kids. We're going to show you how to connect with your child and help them even in their most difficult moments as we hear from experts in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Karin Jakubowski, an international speaker, public school principal, and former struggling student. The Momnificent Podcast equips parents with science-based strategies to help you live a happy, healthy life with your kids. Welcome. We need to do like more ADHD, then we need to do autism. I know. Wait, well, tell me how you know about autism. What, what, what have you been doing with that work? Tell me. Well, you know, both my kids are on the spectrum. Oh, I don't know. I remember that. And, and so really oh, the yes. practice since the beginning. So for 14 years, I've had kids who were on the spectrum. We always say we specialize in the three A's, ADHD, autism, and anxiety. Oh, I missed so the autism one. We have Somehow. kids on the spectrum yes. at our practice who don't have ADHD, or we have kids who have both, or any any combination thereof of the A's. Oh, my gosh. Well, my, my nephew in Poland is three years old and just got diagnosed last month. My, my son was not diagnosed till he was eight because he was so verbal and his pragmatics were off the charts. Um, But he has moderate autism, like level requiring level two supports. Oh my God. Yeah. Really? Okay. Interesting. Oh oh yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll come back. All right. I know we're going to do round two. I'm ready. Oh my gosh. This is so fun. I just love you. Okay. I love you. I found my notes because I almost couldn't find them. Okay. I'm like driving home and I'm like, do I even know where my own notes are from last week? And I found them. Look okay. at you. Oh my gosh. I love you. Well, I don't remember what order I had them in for you. So you just tell me out of order if you want. But um, what about, is it right if we start with the one on a parent asking if ADHD is from trauma? What do you, what are your yeah, thoughts but on that? Yeah, that's not a very broad question. Maybe. It's not? Thing. No, because not everyone thinks that. Um, True. If your child has ADHD and it's hard for them to make friends, you want to go with that? All right, let's let's go with that one. Right? Yeah, yeah, because that is rich and meaty. Yeah, that's a biggie. That's hard. I mean, that's like the number one parent conference question: How's my kid doing socially? Yeah. That's what yeah. we want to know. Really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. Yeah, it's a tough one. Did your kid face that? Oh, um, yeah, both of my yeah. kids struggle with that. I mean, because they have ADHD, autism, and anxiety. Um, and so, and they're both gifted. And so they just do not relate to their typical peers in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, for a long time, their dad was very insistent that they have a social life like he did growing up, you know, like just this kind of band of boys traveling the neighborhood. And I was like, we need to look at what do they need, right? Where are they going to thrive? And, you know, for both of them, it's a lot with caring adults. And then in the last year and a half or so, we found this great camp for my son 
um, which is all neuroatypical kids, which is not an environment I thought he would thrive in, um, but he loves going to camp. And I'll, I'll do a little shout out um, when we go live to Camp Idlewild in Florida. Um, but for both of them, what we have learned as parents, what I have told my husband, we're not live now, right? We are live. You're so cute. Oh, okay. We're we live only, now. We only can start this live when There's we're no live like okay. off or on i know i know i'm okay. so used to this instagram live thing <laughs> okay so, sorry for no misunderstanding that's okay I i'm know. used here to we, like podcasts where it's like us. and we're going okay <laughs> this is us <laughs> i love us okay so what we've learned about our kids is what they need socially is different from typical kids so I can talk about that, but let's talk about the question more broadly to wait, start. Wait, okay, now, but now you got me stuck on that. Why, why isn't it the way we think it might be? Why is what? Why, so, oh, say what you said again about your kid. Okay, so we think as adults, yeah. right? What we want for them is what we think is typical or normal or what we had or what we think is healthy, right? Which yes. is to have like a group of kids to hang out with, a group of kids that you go to the middle school dance with, a group of kids that you ride your bikes around right. the neighborhood with. This was a real source of grief for their dad that they didn't have this group of kids. Otherwise, and it doesn't look like they are socializing, right? Because we think if they don't have it the way we had it, which must have been the only way there is, and maybe right. that's that shift of like, no, it's okay what you're saying. Like, whatever it is for them is good for them. That might look so different than what we had. Right. In so many ways, right, that's we hard. have to let go of what our preconceptions are. And we have to let go of what our wants and desires are and what was true and right for us and figure out, okay, what's true and right for this kid, right? I mean, with... Our son, we tried everything. We tried, you know, sports, Little League, you know, Boy Scouts, robotics. We tried everything. And you know what? Turns out none of that stuff was really his jam. And that's okay, right? So what, what was he, his jam? Well, so, you know, he does a lot of stuff one-on-one -on -one with caring adults in his life. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. You know? Yeah. yeah. And kids his age are not his jam. Yeah. You know? Wow. And when we came to accept that and start to facilitate what made him feel good as a person, right? Which was, you know, his his one-on-one -on -one tutor, right? Um, someone to do kind of special activities with him. I'd love to get him a big brother through Big Brothers Big Sisters because that's how he thrives. And we know this about, well, kids, often kids with ADHD, but we're kind of, we, we got diverted a little I, bit tonight, Karen, into the gonna, autism thing. We're going to be um, off. Okay, we're just going to be off. We're just, it's fine. It's going to be us. <laughs> okay, we're just going to be us. You just so, you. <laughs> okay, let's go back because what I we know. said we were going to do was talk about ADHD. I know. I know. Um, oh, this is so good. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, listen, take me wherever you want to go. I like the rabbit hole. Take my hand. No, I'm, no, I I'm ready really to good. Well, then it reminds me of the five love languages. Mm. You talk mm -hmm. about that with, with kids and families? You know, I don't so much, um, okay. but, but 
Um, That's what it reminded me of when you said your son, because maybe he values and appreciates that. Um, what, what's that one love language? Like one-on-one -on -one time. Yeah. Yeah. Like for, sure. for some, yeah. um, that fills their bucket. Yeah. Like we said at school, um, for others it's, Oh, it's spending quality time. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter is, as an introvert, she is definitely into that. You know, she was never yeah. into the group of girls in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, but she always has her one true dear friend. And honestly, I would say that has also mostly been true of my son, even though I would characterize him as much more of an extrovert. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there's so much more that goes into how do we identify what our children's social and emotional needs are, whether they have ADHD, whether they have autism, whether they have anxiety, whether they're gifted, you know, and just looking at what those social and emotional needs are with a clear head, right? Without all of the layers and expectations that we bring to this. Like, I need my kid to be invited to every middle school party that ever was, right? I need my kid to want to go to the middle school dance, you know? I you know, want my kid to whatever, be part of the popular crowd, be a cheerleader, you know, be part of the robotics club, whatever it is. We have to, we are at our best selves for our kids when we can let go of those expectations, right? And, and see who our child is for themselves and try to help them meet those needs. Yeah, but how do you make that shift as a parent? How do you how do you tune in to their social need that's different than what you think it should be? You know what I say to parents when I'm doing parent coaching, um, which I'm doing more and more and more of, and, and this is what I say to myself, right, is what you want as a parent, right, is what's best for your child, okay? That, yeah. That's what I want for my kids. That's what every parent that I work with in parent coaching wants. They truly want what's best for their yeah. child. They have a hard time making the shift from, well, I think this is what's best to, well, let's discover what's best, right? So we go through kind of a discovery process. Like, is your child enjoying playing three sports? Is your child thriving on having practice four hours a day? Is your child really getting a lot of great mentorship from their coaches? Do they want to play you know, not just school volleyball, but team volleyball, you know, travel, um, travel et cetera, ball, et cetera. you know. And so I think it's a process of first acknowledging, right? We, we have hopes and dreams and expectations, right? There are things that we would like to be right about. There are things that we think are, I'm going to use the words, I'm going to use them, normal or typical or healthy, right? But when we have kids who are atypical in some way, what we really have to do is discovery and listen. Remember how we talked about the listening? We yeah. have to listen. So we have to listen, perfect. right? And so, yeah. you know, when we can acknowledge, right, that, well, this is what I wanted, right? This is what I wanted, or this is what worked for me, right? Or, right. you know, this is what I thought it had to be, you know? We can acknowledge that. Then we can set that aside and we can start to say, okay, but when we look at, right, when we look at Deidre, when is she happy? When does she thrive? What does she need? And then how can you as a parent facilitate that? And honestly, I think most parents are happy to be given permission to let go of 
what's expected and what they thought they had to do and figure out, okay, this is what my child needs. And that's what I'm going to work on providing. Well, and it reminds me of like normal according to who, right? Right. Your expectations according to what, who, right. 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 To really ask that it's like, yeah, just something I think, or I thought it should be. Right. Yeah. This is so good. Observe listen and ask your kid if your kid knows it's okay for them to tell you like they are really tired out from those multiple practices that's important to have your kid know it's safe to say that and i'm not mom and dad want me i they 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 think i have to yeah ask them so good what does a great weekend look like for you who would be a great friend for you how much do you need to see your friends you know just have the conversation, do the discovery. It's when we believe that our kids have insight and answers, then all we really need to do is turn up our listening skills. It's when we think only we have the answers that we run into some problems. So good. So good. And I have heard more and more that kids need one, two good friends. Like this idea of like five, 10, I mean, not really realistic. So that was, that was helpful. And figure out, right. Maybe your kid does thrive in a group or maybe they're not thriving in a group now, but they will in college. I remember there was a girl that I worked with when she was in middle school and she had one friend and, um, you know, she, she was a pretty good friend. She wasn't a great friend, right? But she was like a friend you could count on, a friend, you know, to do something on the weekend with, a friend to occasionally have a sleepover with. Yeah. And, um, you know, but who's at their best in middle school, right? Um, oh and then this girl that I worked with in middle school went to college, ended up pledging a sorority, living in a sorority house, which I can't imagine a more extroverted thing to do, right? Um, and has now kind of this group of, you know, young women that she hangs out with. Every kid's story is going to be different. Are you going to be Uh a kid who hangs out by yourself most of the time? Are you going to be a kid who hangs out with one person all the time? Are you going to be a group person? What I think we need to do as parents is give our kids permission to just be themselves. One of my favorite quotes is, parenting is not about shaping a child, but discovering the child. Well, there's that discovery word again i'm curious yes curious i i really love that and it keeps coming up again and again like and trusting right trusting that your child knows what they need or that you can co-discover what they need right even if they try it and realize it isn't what they thought but the power in that is incredible and the connection right and the relationship building that you that comes out of that awesome awesome right wouldn't give that up oh right oh my and i think it's important for parents to realize that kids social and emotional needs can change over time right i mean the point too and so Mm -hmm. we can't pigeonhole kids as an introvert for their whole life or an extrovert for their whole life or socially awkward for their whole life or the popular kid right like Kids go through stages of human development and they're going to need different things at different times. And that's okay. Just like we, right, as adults have gone through periods of needing more or less socialization, right? right? Depending on what you're going through, what happens in life, happens relationally, you know, your work. Oh my goodness. So many different changes. 
I think yeah, the key point about this social friendship kind of issue is that we have to do what we have to do across so much of parenting, which is pull back, right? Pull back on our driving and directing, right? And let the child you have unfold and love them. Just love them, you know? Like, yeah. you don't need to drive or direct, you know? Like, even yeah. at school, don't you see that? Oh, my gosh. Today, we had a student who was having a rough time and and, and needed some help. And, and we started, um, well, one of our staff members has, has a canine companion dog. And I literally said to them, I said, uh, would you like to go for a walk, you know, and talk about what's going on? Or do you want to just, like, take a little walk with the dog and just take a minute? She walked down the hallway with the dog on his little leash. And by the end, she had stopped crying. She was back being able to talk and, you know, calm. I call it calming and control of her body. Amazing. Like just, and me just asking her two choices that I was okay with mm -hmm. and give, giving them the power to own and try what may or may not work for them. But like you said, trusting them that they, they actually also do know what will help them too. Yeah. So they do. Powerful. They do. Love and that. we have to take ourselves out of that, right? Like I was a kid who was introverted. I was no. academic. I was. I know you're shocked, right? Like I know you don't, but it's so true, Karen. It's so true. <laughs> Geeky, academic, loved my alone time. Like spent hours sewing clothes for my little Barbie dolls. Hours doing light bright in my closet. I mean, I was not a social kid. But even at the time, I felt like, oh, I should be more social, right? I should be more social. Um, and I remember having to really fight that with my daughter, you know, who's my mini me in every way, right? Like, oh, well, wh why doesn't she love to go to the group swim party? Well, because she's your mini me and she would rather go swimming with one friend or stay home and like, learn about the biology of like the oceans, you know, like, that was okay. and it's okay, but okay. it's so hard for us because we worry so much about everything. And we think that's the path to happiness. Mm -hmm. The pathway to happiness is being your authentic real self. We know this as adults, right? So we got to preach it with our kids. We do. And what was your mom like with you then? Well, I mean, I had sort of rather a difficult upbringing. And so, you know, I think this is where I feel like I have had to learn how to love and accept my kids, how they are and how to parent who they are and, and how to try to connect with them. Um, so, yeah. yeah. All right. You want to try another question? Yeah, let's go for it. Do you want to pick because <laughs> the last two I said, we were like, maybe next. What's in door number three? <laughs> no, you go for it. It's your show. Ask okay. me anything. I, now that I'm clear on, Hold you know, on. we I'm have waving no... to all our friends who are who are jumping on. This is so cute. We're, this is so well. Well, so then, is there a short answer to AD, is ADHD from trauma? Okay, so ADHD is not caused by trauma. Let's clear this right. one up. That was a good question. All right, it was a great question. Is ADHD caused by no. trauma? So ADHD, what the very latest science tells us, and this has been consistent over the last couple decades, is that there is a strong genetic link to ADHD. So generally, if a kid has ADHD, somewhere in the family tree, there's ADHD. We haven't discovered exactly which gene, um, and we haven't discovered exactly 
what might turn that gene on or off, but we know that it's mostly genetic. Now, we can also say, right, that there are certain things like trauma that might make ADHD worse, just the same way trauma would make anxiety worse, yeah. the same way trauma would make learning more difficult. Okay. But is ADHD itself caused by trauma? No. Can trauma make ADHD worse? Yes. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. ADHD is caused by genetics. Okay. That's good. Um, well, you know, I don't know. These two questions, maybe they are or aren't ADHD related, but they're, they're like parenting related. So when, Go you for shout, it. when you shout at your kid because of their behavior and you don't know how to deal. Well, actually, this was from a parent who's got a kid with ADHD. And they were like, I just end up shouting at them because I cannot handle their behavior. Like, how do we help these parents? What do you say? What would you say? Okay, so I'm going to divide this question into a couple pieces, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So if this parent was asking specifically about a child who has ADHD, and if this is happening regularly, right? Like the child is impulsive, the child is distractible, the child can't get anything done, the child is, you know, let's use the horrible words, like has a behavior problem at school, which you know I don't believe in, it's symptoms, um, the first thing I would say to these parents is if you are having a chronically high level of symptoms at school or at home, you need to talk to your doctor. You need to talk to your doctor because the American Academy of Pediatrics is so very clear that first-line treatment is medication, right? And so many kids are on medication, but it's not appropriately dosed or titrated. Um, and so... You know, many of us in our younger years think that, oh, the answer is behavioral, right? And there is a behavioral component of it. But the first thing we want to check is we want to check in with the doctor and say, hey, this is what's been going on. You know, what do you think that sounds like? Do you think making a medication change would make a difference? And there are some great symptom trackers out there that parents can use to track the level of ADHD symptoms so that we're not walking into the doctor's office in tears going, I don't know, it's just been the worst month ever, right? Well, like, wait, where do you get a tracking level? I've never even heard of this. How do parents get this? Oh, just Google ADHD symptom tracker or email okay. us at info at russellcoaching.com. Okay. We have, I like have almost all of our parents when they're having a rough time use a symptom tracker. Oh, because, like okay, this. Karen, listen to this. If you have high blood pressure, what's the first thing the doctor tells you to do every day, every couple days? Check it. Check it to get the what? What's the word starts with data. D? Data. Right? Okay. Let's say you have diabetes. What are you checking all day long? Your numbers. Your numbers. Because we want the data, right? Same thing is true with ADHD. Okay. We want to be tracking the data, not just walking into the doctor's office and going, ah, which is, I, I mean, I've done that. I've totally done that. So, you know, um, but we yeah, want the well, data. See, hold on. I just have to stop you for a second because this is why I love you and I talking because there's a disconnect be between the education world 
and the world of the doctors. And I don't know why no one has bridged this where we got all the experts over here, but we got the teachers and I deal with this stuff all day long and the parents, God bless them, don't know what. They look to us oh, they and look- we don't, we're trying our best. Oh yeah. And why, why didn't anybody tell me about a symptom tracker? I mean, I'm sure it's another way of saying something similar that we do do. But when you say it like that, it's like an aha. Oh no, it's an so actual ADHD symptom tracker. It's so good. Well, I don't know why I never heard it, but I'm glad I heard it today. And, and really, you know, I have worked with psychiatrists or developmental pediatricians who have had parents and schools fill this out every week until we get good control of the symptoms. Okay. okay. Keep going. I like it. You know, most people, the doctor says, try this, call me in a month, right? But there are pediatricians, developmental pediatricians, psychiatrists, nurse practitioners who I think are angels on earth who will say, let's track this weekly until we have good control of symptoms, right? So going back to our blood pressure analogy, okay? I have a friend who has high blood pressure, okay? We take the blood pressure, right? And if it continues to be like 170 over 120, we don't just say, oh, well, like, you know, he has a behavior problem. He's not controlling his blood pressure, do we? No. We call the doctor and say the numbers are running 170 over 120. And so is the medication working? Should we try something else, et cetera, et cetera? Why don't we approach ADHD in the same way? Right? We don't. We don't because we blame the kid. We get frustrated at the kid as if the kid can control it. And that's what you're trying to say. Hello, you're looking at the wrong person. You're right. And so change in the answer. Get a symptom tracker, track the symptoms, right? Take that symptom tracker to your doctor, show it to them and say, is this the best we can expect? What we know from ADHD research is that medication should make a difference and alleviate somewhere between 60 to 90% of the symptoms. So so if you have a kid who's like 10% better on meds, you know what? You can do better. Hmm. Interesting. You can do better. Now, there are some super complex kids out there. I have two super complex kids, right? So we have to take into account all of those things. I just did an intake this morning where, you know, the child has both autism and ADHD and anxiety. And so they're having to work with a doctor to get a grip on the anxiety piece before they add in a stimulant. But this is where, you know, I'm sorry, but our work is hard as parents. It is. And and parents need support. And maybe we come on every week and just do support for parents. Like what's hard this week, you know? Um, But this is what's so important. So going back to the question that we started with about 10 minutes ago, What do we do when our kids, quote unquote, behavior is annoying us? First of all, we have to differentiate between behaviors and symptoms. If the child's level of symptoms is really high, then we have to pull together the treatment. Okay, give give us an example of the behavior and a symptom in case the listeners are like, what does she mean? Why? I know there was a difference. Okay, so a behavior is you have 30 minutes of free time before dinner. Do you want to draw? listen to YouTube, go outside and ride your bike, okay? That decision is a behavior that the child is fully in control of, right? Okay. Shouting out things in class because they're impulsive, that is not a behavior, that is a symptom of ADHD, right? The same way sneezing is a symptom of allergies. 
And so when we label it as behavior, the shouting out, the walking around, the talking too much, you know, the not completing the work, right? Needing multiple reminders, right? Those there, are all symptoms of the neurodevelopmental disorder. Those are not chosen behaviors. Like today, I noticed you have your hair up, right? And I have my hair up too. That was a behavior, a decision, right? Now, I could also choose right now to take my hair down, right? Now, that's not an impulsive decision, right? That was something I was doing as a demonstration. But if the kid sitting in the chair next to me reaches over and grabs my hair clip and pulls it out, that could be impulsive behavior, which is a symptom which tells us the ADHD is not under control. That's a symptom, not a behavior. See the difference? Yes. Yeah. And so what we do so many times is we judge these kids because their symptoms aren't always present. And so so we think they can control it. But you know what's weird? We don't do that with epilepsy. We don't say, well, you didn't have a seizure yesterday. I don't know why you're choosing to have a seizure today. Why are you choosing to have a seizure today? It's state testing day. Well, this was a very bad decision on your part to choose to have a seizure today. Yeah. yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. You're right. We don't. Like, we just don't, you know? And very so. Very quick. Of course, ADHD symptoms are variable day by day. A child's ability to use their executive functioning skills varies day by day. How hungry are they? How tired are they? How lonely are they? How much sleep did they get, right? We need to start expecting variability in what we see and be making the difference in our own minds between behavior and symptoms. And if the symptoms are pretty chronically high, then you pull back together your treatment team. Your medical professional, your therapist or psychiatrist, your ADHD coach or your parent coach, the team at school, right? And you say, this is what we're seeing consistently. So can we come together to work on this? Yes. And we don't often see them all coming together, which is what I dream will happen one day. Oh, yeah. Now, I know. Everyone preaches a team approach, but, you know, to be fair, almost no one has the time to do it. I know therapists are in shock when when one of our coaches calls them and says, I just want to set up a conference call with you about, you know, this student. Or, like, our coaches will write to teachers at school, you know, or have their student write to the teacher. Yes. Or they'll just write and introduce themselves. You know, we preach team and we believe in team we really do but our systems are not set no. up to team no they're not because remember I reached out to you last year I was like can you just jump on a call and like can my teacher just tell you what they're seeing just so you can give this teacher some semblance of like hey a it's whatever it is to just confirm what they're doing validate what they're doing and or maybe give them a tip a tip or a tool or an understanding like you're saying like I think if we really shared this with educators they would it would really shift how they're viewing these kids and what they end up doing to support them. Well, and the thing is, it's so hard for educators because all they ever hear in school is behavior plans, behavior plans, behavior plans, behavior plans. Well, if all I ever heard was behavior plans, behavior plans, behavior plans, I would think behavior plans were the ultimate go-to solution. 
But behavior plans are not the ultimate go-to solution. They are part of a three-pronged treatment approach that the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends. Medication, parent training, and a school plan. But the only tool that teachers have is a behavior plan. And so, you know, I just have so much empathy for that because it's like trying to use the same tool all the time and often, right, we, we, we sometimes use positive behavior supports, but we, we do still sometimes use, you know, what would be called classically punishment. You know, I'm going to take this away. I'm going to take that away. You know, and we know that's the least effective tool we have. And so, you know, how do we on a broader level, and this is, you know, this is kind of what's mulling around in my head for a next book is how do we help teachers become educated and empowered so that they can talk with parents in a way. But, you know, you know, as well as I do, how hard that is in a school system. Yeah. I mean, because we're not the doctor. We're not allowed to diagnose. And I have to caution my teachers all day long. Can't use those buzzwords that the kid's not focusing that they, because they just rattle them off. And then the the parent goes to the doctor and comes back with a script. It's like, oh my gosh, now we've got to write a 504 plan for them. Right. 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 I mean, and, and the, and the, and the, with all due respect, the clinicians are writing these, these recommendations for the education system when they never even talk to us. It's like they think they want to tell us what to do and we just are working our tails off and still feeling like we're not getting ahead supporting these kids for what they really might need. Well, and you know, I'll say this is a little bit of um, a little bit of a sore subject for me, right? Because you'll read these reports and and so many times you'll read the same recommendations, right? And there'll be like 25 or 30 recommendations. And I get it. Those are all the recommendations you could possibly <laughs> give. But what happens from a parent perspective, and I can speak to this, is I look at 25 recommendations and I think, I don't know where to start. I don't know what's most important. Well, number seven seems like something I could get done. I'll start there. Or you know? I can't do that and you just you just set it aside check out of it you know and you have the best of intentions and you have the heart to help your kid and that whoa and the clinicians all see this is the thing everyone in the system has the best of intentions the clinicians are trying to give you as many tools as possible yeah what i think would be more helpful is prioritize and for clinicians who are diagnosing to use american academy of pediatrics language right Okay, so what are the three or four prongs of an effective treatment approach and how do you, you know, put those into place? You know, that's what I think would bring the community of people who work with kids who have ADHD together is everyone needs to be singing from the same book. And, and, and for you know, as well for them to, to create focus first. This is the most important thing pick your battle for this year and don't worry about that. But when you get there, this is like, even for the teacher, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, we just have to, we'll just have to create that for them. Let's just create a whole new world. I can't believe our 30 minutes are up already. What? I know. 
I know, and I feel bad because I don't want to keep you on long, but I really love talking with you, and I want to respect your time. But, all right, so should we, should we, should we touch, should we, should we dip into autism the next time we talk? I think we should, and okay, I want to hear, for those of you who are listening, you know, I know you probably tuned in because we were, you know, going to talk about ADHD, but here's the thing, there's lots of kids who have ADHD and autism, so I think we need to do you know, a talk about that when kids have both, because you know, only one third of kids with ADHD only have ADHD. Two thirds have something else. So two thirds have something else. And so we need to get a little deeper into, okay, so what is your child's profile like, right? Because we got to get rid of this whole kids with ADHD fit these boxes, right? No, 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 no. Does your kid with ADHD only have ADHD? Does your kid with ADHD also have dyslexia? You know, I just mm-hmm. talked at the International Dyslexia Association conference in, in Dallas, you know, does your kid have ADHD and a mood disorder? Well, that looks different than ADHD and dyslexia. So we've got to dive a little deeper into how do you understand your individual child? And I know that's hard at schools, but ultimately it's also going to make teachers' lives easier. It but is. for parents, for sure. You've got to know. And and if part of the diagnostic process wasn't looking at what the comorbidities are, you may need to ask, you know, do you see anything else going on with my child? Yes. Yes. These are such great questions to ask. Well, even to help parents with the questions to ask, which is part of your book that you wrote, which is so awesome. Love that. Okay. Yeah. So... Yes, those listening and those listening after this, because we're gonna we're gonna keep this recording, this live, and turn it into recording, so those who, who might not be here live can hear it at some point. But please shoot us your questions. The only reason why I asked Dr. Russell to come on this live Instagram was because parents were asking questions, and I was like, "Come on, Noreen, we gotta talk. We gotta we gotta help them out." So yeah, we're only doing this to help you. So please, if you know someone or you, shoot us your questions. Um, we're just here to help you, and. Um, yeah, absolutely. We're going to end up posting the recording on our YouTube um, channel, and we'll probably end up posting a link to that on our Russell Coaching Facebook and Instagram. But I'd love to get people's questions. I mean, yes. this is fun. This is helping people, I know. right? You know, I know. and I and so yeah, send send me your questions personally at Dr. Russell at RussellCoaching.com. I'm happy to send them on to Karen. Yeah. Um, you know we'll do it we're here to create this for you Mm -hmm. so yeah well thanks for tuning in and thank you dr russell again here's a hug oh to the camera love you (laughs) and i'll i'll talk to you soon all right all right love you awesome bye our next call all right bye well that's all we've got for this episode of the momnificent podcast if you enjoyed this episode i would be honored if you would subscribe and rate if you really liked it I know wherever you're listening right now, it might not be the best time to leave a comment, but feel free to leave a question, a review, or a comment at any time. And until next time, remember, don't worry, be happy.